This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. USC held off Cal. We got to talk about Oregon stopping out Utah and Oklahoma catches an L in Lawrence. First kill against Kansas since 1997. Yeah, we got to talk about it. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kid folk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, got to talk about what might have happened with Penn State, Indiana. Get into that a little bit. What did happen with Oregon and Utah? Got to talk about my Oklahoma Sooners catching an L for the first time all year against Kansas. And we got to talk about USC. Somehow coming from behind to beat Cal in a game that I needed to watch toward the end. Look, this is already going to be a bad day for me. Okay? I was already dealing with the licks that I'm getting, and I deserve them. Continue to give me the licks that I deserve. But having to watch SC come from behind against Cal to win a game, you know what? Let's let's do that in the USC-Cal segment of the show. At the top, no getting around it. The top story of the day, the, the biggest stunner of the day, Number six, Oklahoma, losing to Kansas, 38-33. to My goodness. All right, so positives here. Lance Leipold did this show upon getting the job at Kansas, and I have been such a huge Lance Leipold fan from the day that he started at Kansas. I thought this was a great match, a program that had been down for the better part of a decade, going to get a proven winner at the lower levels, winning national championships, and then turning Buffalo into a team that can go bowling. And a man who had a vision for what Kansas football could be, given just a little bit of time. And he showed that early on. Then he got a big win at Austin on the road. And now coming into this game against Oklahoma, they were looking to get a signature win against the program that they most aspire to be like. My goodness, did they come out the gate firing? 14 points they put up in a hurry on Oklahoma, mostly running the football. That offensive line was very physical. That offensive line gave Devin Neal and Oklahoma native Daniel Hyshaw all the room it needed to try to put a dent in what was otherwise a great Oklahoma defense for most of the year. It's shown some signs of some fissures that got exposed in this game. But I thought that this was really an outstanding game back and forth, especially as it looked like Oklahoma was in a deep hole. Then they caught a break, frankly, when lightning was saw in the area, eight miles outside. That means you got to have a mandatory half-hour delay. Ended up being an hour before we got back to playing football in the second quarter. And then Oklahoma, in very quick succession, puts up 21 unanswered points in the second quarter alone, right? It looked like the kind of Oklahoma offense that we had become accustomed to seeing, except with one wrinkle. They were running the hell out of the ball, and they were running it well. As a matter of fact, I sent a fake telegram to the OU offensive office asking, please, run Tawi Walker. Stop. Run the damn ball. Stop. 
Turns out when they ran the damn ball, Oklahoma was pretty doggone good, putting up over 250 yards of rushing. And this is huge for Oklahoma, who hadn't been able to run the ball for any length of time for diddly squat all year long. But with each passing moment, it felt like Kansas was finding ways to get back in the game. When the game seemed to get out of uh, out of hand for them, they scored 12 in a row coming out of the second half, right? Then we get six from Oklahoma, and it's a one-score battle back and forth all the way toward the end of this game. Really came down to two decisions. One is to let Kansas score and let them go up by five so that you get the ball back, put it in Dylan Gabriel's hands, give your offense a shot. Two. Brent Venables talked about it, maybe taking a timeout, maybe giving his guys a little bit more of an opportunity to go score. But at one point, it just felt inevitable that Oklahoma was not going to have what it took to get past this Kansas football team with a defense that decided to bow up, led by Kenny Logan out there, who was a tackling machine, a guy that stayed on, one of the captains on that team, one of the leaders on that team. I could not be more impressed with what Kansas pulled off because it's one thing to lose to Oklahoma Every year that they played since 1997, right? So that's a 26-year drought without a win, okay? That's one. It's another thing entirely to beat a top-10 team. That's the first time Kansas has done that since 2008. And it's another thing entirely to beat a top-10 team in Lawrence, Kansas, a thing that hadn't happened for Kansas since 1984. I'm 36 years old. My parents got married in 1984, which means that they had Three years of marital bliss and 36 years of damn kids. And it's been that long since Kansas was able to celebrate a seismic signature victory like this one. Right. And I'm I could not be more happy for them. Kansas is not only going bowling for the second year in a row, but doing it over the dead body of the best team in the Big 12 conference. It also means that the Big 12 quietly becomes the only power five team left or excuse me, only power five conference left without an undefeated team to pitch to the college football playoff with those initial rankings being revealed next Tuesday. We'll talk about those things as soon as they happen on Tuesday. But again, I have to just give it up for what Jason Bean was able to do. What in his best game, 15 to 32 for 218, zero TDs, two picks, right? Felt like either one of those picks could sway it for Oklahoma, but you also had two fumbled kickoffs. It's raining, but still two fumbled kickoffs. We saw a two-point conversion fail after two-point conversion fail. We saw two great offensive lines going to work on each other. And we got to see what it was like for Dylan Gabriel to be in another winning time moment and just not have it to go. But not for nothing, he wasn't able to throw the ball for much of anything all game. Like as soon as it was clear to me that Oklahoma was going to have a hard time running the football or throwing the football, you got to start running the football. But along the way, it seemed like as soon as Jeff Levy made that math work, he did not trust his quarterback to go and find wide receivers like Jaleel Farouk or Drake Stoops or Gavin Freeman out in Patters. Nick Anderson had a, a pretty bad game, his first really bad game in a Sooner uniform, but that also kind of goes to what they were able to do at Kansas, what they knew they were going to look for. Andy Kotelnicki, who has been offensive coordinator for Lance Leipold, called one hell of a game, man. He, he's been here with him since 2013, and they do a lot of motion, a lot of window dressing, a lot of what Ethan Downs called eye crimes that they had the defense committing, but he wanted to get Kansas to a point where they could physically overmatch people. That's what great football teams do. They're able to impose their will on you. And they do that primarily by running the football. I cannot take my hat off more to him. And I, I said going into this week, this game was squirrely, right? I'm telling people that anybody would listen. Look, 
This is a Kansas football team that ran for 400 yards on Central Florida, put up 51 points. People are going, yeah, but they didn't have John Rice plumbling when they did that. Oh, yeah, because he plays defense. Yeah, because that, that's why that matters, right? I'm also saying this is a Kansas football team that only managed to score 14 on Texas, and Texas put up 40 on them, right? So it just didn't feel right, but it also felt like Kansas was in a place where not only they were due, but they were ready for it. They sold out this game. They showed up in droves. They even had a guy who was trying to slide down the tarp during the rain delay to keep himself amused as this game was really nasty. Like it was, I mean, the weather was really nasty. It's like 38 degrees on the field. It's windy. The, the ball's got to feel like a rock. And yet Kansas has really taken on Lance Leopold's DNA, man. This is a man who I congratulated after the Texas win. He says, hey, we, we showed that we got a little something to us. He wasn't celebrating it the way that other KU fans were. He was going, no, we're beginning to show signs of the kind of football team that I expect us to be. And even going into this year, saying many of the same things, we just, we got to be tougher in these situations. We got to know who we are and we have to be able to count on our own self-confidence to go get things done. That is a man who has set the bar so terribly high for his guys and has asked them to reach it, and they continue to do that. They reach up and try to hit that bar with every snap they take. And, you know, that's not surprising to me. Lance Leipold's won national championships before. He knows what national championship football looks like. Now, those are my superlatives for Oklahoma, but we, we or excuse me, for Kansas, but I, I, don't, I don't have many for Oklahoma right now because the on, on third and short, Jeff Levy, third and one, decides to pass the football, okay? That ends up being a pick six. That's the first score of the game for Kansas, okay? On fourth and short, chooses to pass the football, okay? Going for it on fourth down is great if you pick up those fourth downs by running the football. When Tywee Walker was running the ball, Oklahoma looked like a really great offense. When he wasn't, and you're asking Jaleel Farouk to do it, maybe he puts the ball on the ground because he plays wide receiver, couple of other chances just didn't go Oklahoma's way. Key Lawrence had a ball quite literally hit him in the hands like it was coming off the jugs machine, and he dropped it. Maybe that one changes the game. But Ethan Downs made an outstanding pick that felt like a Torrance Marshall play, right? Was going to give them an opportunity to go win this football game, and yet Kansas found another way. I can't look at this game and believe that Oklahoma played his foot best football, and I can't even look at this game and say Kansas played his best football. I can't look at this game and say, okay, now you got the 1L for, I mean, this goes into what? It's only been once since 2004 that Oklahoma has managed to make it out of the month of October undefeated. And that was 2021, right? You'll remember that year because get out of October undefeated and then promptly lose to Baylor and Oklahoma State and Lincoln Riley's out the door, right? This year just felt like this was going to be a game that caught Oklahoma unaware or at a moment when it had already shown itself to be a little bit vulnerable, did that against Central Florida, wasn't able to withstand what Kansas was doing. But now we got a fight in the Big 12 championship. Matter of fact, I saw the books had already decided to make Texas the favorite to win the Big 12 title again and to make the college football playoff based entirely on this loss to Kansas. Never mind that Oklahoma beat Texas. Doesn't seem to matter to many folks outside of Norman, especially right now. But when you look at your quarterback and he goes 14 to 19 for 171, and he was a more of a threat running the football, had three rushing TDs than he had throwing the ball. Yeah, okay, I get that. Because now you're saying that the defense that was giving up, you know, fewer than 10 points a game, all of a sudden getting scored on, right? 29 by Central Florida and 38 today by Kansas. You got some moving and shaking to do. And then Bedlam is on Saturday. And like this Kansas game, 
Probably going to be the last time that Oklahoma State sees Oklahoma for some time. As a matter of fact, at Lawrence, they're already chanting SEC, SEC to Oklahoma, right? I'm goodness me. I also look at this game and I I want to I want to make it about coaching, right? I want to make it about play calling, but I I also looked and saw Oklahoma had opportunities to go win the football game. I just lost the football game. That's how that goes, right? And I've been saying don't mind Oklahoma, and I'm gonna continue to say don't mind Oklahoma. Now they got the one loss, right? Oklahoma's not a threat anymore, right? Florida State's undefeated, right? Don't expect Oklahoma to be anywhere near that top four. They might not even be a top 10 team, according to the college football playoff. That's good. That's nice. That's what we like here. Don't mind Oklahoma. Gonna be all right. Not gonna be all right if you're giving up 123 rushing on 20 rushes in the first half, though. Okay. It's not gonna be all right when you go into halftime up 21-17, lose the game 38-33. Okay, it's not gonna be all right. It's gonna be some moving and shaking. It's gonna get loud, it's gonna get a little bit violent here in the month of November, but that's what this sport is about. At the top, feels like it's anybody's ball game now because Kansas State just stopped a mud hole and walked it dry. And my goodness. We're looking at a Texas team that kind of feels vulnerable without Quinn Ewers. Malik Murphy in his first start didn't have a great game against Brigham Young, but they got the win. Texas, Kansas State next week, and then Oklahoma and Oklahoma State next week, and it's all still to play for. But a couple other things to point out here on OU that just stick in your craw. When you got 11 penalties for 101 yards, you are an undisciplined football team. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. When you are 2 of 10 on third down, you're not just not good on the money down. Those two stats alone could tell you so much about what a football game is or isn't. But again, all credit to Kansas, all credit to the Jayhawks, rock chalk, all of it. You will not hear a bad word from me about that Kansas football team. You got to take an L. You got to take an L that way. Take it to Lance Leipold and KU. Now bounce back from it, right? Don't, don't let it keep you down. But don't let anybody tell you that that's not a good football team. They're 6-2. and two. Baby, and they're, they're, I mean, they're this much closer to a double-digit winning season. That's phenomenal when you look at what the Jayhawks are. Even as I already got to hear people telling me that Utah is going to be the favorite to win the Big 12 next year, I'm saying, I don't know, man. Did y'all see what Lance Leifold and KU did against Oklahoma? Maybe keep that long and shaking. What does it mean for Oklahoma's college football playoff chances? I think they're still in it, right? I think there's another loss or two to be had at least one is going to be had by the two of the top three because Michigan and Ohio State got to play each other right and then you're talking about Florida State going to continue to run the table maybe Georgia they look like Georgia again we'll get into that but right now I feel like all Oklahoma has to do is get back to the Big 12 championship game and win it and then you still got yourself a shot to go and do the damn thing but I I, I wanted to puke during that game dog like I, I was telling the show staff I am not okay I, I was beside myself I lived and died by 18 times during OU Kansas, and it was a whole mess of a game. And I'm going to remember it for a very, very long time, as I hope Kansas fans will too. Go fish that goalpost out of the lake so that you can go put it up and continue your season this year. But credit to y'all, man. I love it. I really do. All right, let's move on to number 24 USC holding off Cal, 50 to 49. All right, so. We delayed the start of the show because of this football game playing on the Pac-12 network. And it's one thing for me to watch Oklahoma take its first loss of the season. It's another thing entirely for me to watch USC come from behind 43-29 to take a 50-49 to win against a team that was 3-4 and four this season and ranked 51st in the entire country 
in scoring offense. What was this USC game and what is this USC team? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm looking up and I, I was like, there's no way this game is out of hand. It was 28-17 at halftime. I'm watching Fernando Mendoza out there cutting up Alex Grinch's secondary. I'm watching Jay Knott go for over 120-plus yards rushing. I'm watching Cal, Berkeley, Justin Wilcox's Cal move the football. Now, again, they got Jake Spavadol, one of Oklahoma's own, right, out there calling plays for them, but that's still no excuse for you. This game produced four. It produced 99 points and over 1,000 yards of offense. At this point, I really got some reservations about USC even fielding its defense. I mean, it obviously did because they had to stop a two-point conversion that would have given Cal a 51-50 to lead with under a minute to play. Eric Gentry probably picked up a DPI if I'm throwing the flag, but I'm not. And credit to Cal, who just decided to end this game rather than continue to have this go on. I mean, at one point, I got to watch Caleb Williams stand back there get stripped of the ball, and it feels like, oh, okay, 43 up. Cal's going to go do something. No, they throw the ball right back to USC. USC was trying to lose this game to Cal, and Cal wouldn't let him. That's the way that it looks for me. As I'm looking at this, and I'm going, you know, at one point you want to say Cal's got some backbone, you know, because they could have folded in a second half that already started weird for those of y'all that missed this. Halftime had come and gone, but the officials had decided that there was supposed to be one more second left to play in the first half. So they told the teams this, and USC was like, where's the ball? Well, it's in field goal range. Cool, we're going to kick a field goal. So he lines Dennis Lynch up to go kick a field goal, and Justin Wilcott goes, timeout. <laughs> and then Dennis Lynch misses the field goal, and then you start the second half, okay? Like, that's one of the just wild things going on in this game. It's also a game in which Caleb Williams did not play Terribly. As a matter of fact, if Caleb Williams does not play the way that Caleb Williams is capable of playing this game, they might lose it. He went, what is this? I got him at, yeah, 369 pass yards. I want to make sure I got it right. 23 of 40, two TDs, 369 through the air. That's a Heisman stat line. And they needed every bit of it. That's the point, right? They put up over 500 yards. 369 were on Caleb Williams' arm. Marshawn Lloyd had 115 yards rushing, and Todd Washington had 102 yards receiving. And you still barely beat Cal by one point. A Cal team that hadn't scored more than 40 on anybody in the Power Five, save Oregon State, and they lost that football game. I get it. You could say you're leaving the, uh, the Bay with a dub, but you got, you got Oregon and Washington next. And I don't know if you've been paying attention or not, but those are the two best teams in your damn conference. Now, if you are SC, you're going, this is the difference between us being a nine-win team and a 10-win team right here, getting this win, right? Because it feels like it's all there for you. However, you got three ranked opponents left to finish your season. You're going to have to earn it every step of the way. And if you do, you're going to walk into the Pac-12 championship, and we're going to have to talk about that left. But, you know, Austin Jones getting that go-ahead score with 333 left to play. I'm going, really? But at the time, we're also going, is this going to be overtime? And, you know, Justin Wilcox decided, no, let, let's just go for the win here. It's not a championship football team over there at USC, but it is a great football team. But I got to say, it felt a little personal. And you know what? SC fans, please give me all, all, all of it that you got. Because it's one thing for me to watch Oklahoma lose a football game, a football game they were winning. It's another thing entirely for me to watch USC come back to beat Cal. Okay, 
It's not even a Lincoln Riley thing. It's a USC thing. Y'all, y'all know how I feel about USC. I don't think y'all show up at football game no way. You know, I think y'all fair weather. I think since Matt Leinart was playing quarterback, y'all ain't give a damn. Y'all got the best player in football, according to the NFL, who was, until a couple weeks ago, probably going to win another Heisman Trophy. And all of a sudden, y'all want to chirp, chirp, because you beat up on Cal. And Oklahoma got a loss. All right, yep. yep come on, come on with the come on. Come on with the come on. Just don't lose Tulane in the Cotton Bowl again. Because Tulane all of a sudden 7-1. Tulane got a better record than SC. I'm just saying that. Right. I'm just them, them the cold, hard facts right there. All right. Also in the Pac-12, Oregon threw down a gauntlet for both USC and Washington, stomping out Utah 35 to six. That is number eight, Oregon, stomping out number 13, Utah, 35 to six. And it felt like, hey, this might be Bryson Barnes's coming out game. Nope. They held that man to 15 to 29 for 136, two INTs. They he looked like Super Bryson Barnes against Superman in USC. And Oregon said, no, that's just Bryson Barnes. They said, hey, we got a pig farmer at quarterback who beat a Heisman winner. And Oregon said, no, we're going to show y'all that dude is a pig farmer, not a Heisman winner. The Heisman winner, hell, that might be Bo Nix after today, 24, 31, 248, three total TDs. He looked gooded. He looked gooded. Okay, looked like a bacon and egg sandwich. Looked good. Okay, Troy Franklin, he looked good too. Eight catches, 99 yards of TD. That dude ought to be a Bolitnikoff Award finalist. I'm really looking at it. And between Romo Dunzi and then you got my man Troy Franklin and then you got my man Marvin Harrison Jr., it's going to be thick for that Bolitnikoff Award race here. I'm also looking at an Oregon defense that heard me calling out and going, do y'all play defense over there or is that just something that y'all talk about playing? And Tosh Lepoy, Dan Lanning, got in them boys' grill and said, I don't want Utah to score not one damn TD. Not one. I don't want to see Jaquindon Jackson get in that end zone. I don't want to see Sione Baki tearing us up. I don't want to see Money Parks catching no TD passes. I want you to hold them to nothing and Judge Smells like it. And them boys said, ain't nothing but nothing, dog. We got you. They held Utah to six points all game. Three field, excuse me, two field goals, okay? That is the first Oregon football team to hold a ranked opponent without a TD since 2012. All of a sudden, feels like Oregon is surging. Now, I picked Oregon to win this game, but that, you know, I mean, most people, I think, picked Oregon to win this game, although there are a lot of folks going, y'all sleeping on Utah. Nah, dog, I, I ain't been slept on Utah. Utah been overperforming. That's not shade. Like, they're good, and they're two-time defending Pac-12 champ, but. When you got Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Kayla Williams playing the way that they are, it's really difficult for me to point at Bryson Barnes and say that's going to be a dude that carries you to the Pac-12 championship game, right? Meanwhile, Bo Nix making his 55th start, a record that he broke last year and continues to set for the rest of the year, has Oregon looking like a really great offense. And then Tysheen Johnson with the two picks brings you back to this idea of, oh, yeah, okay, they could they could play a little bit of defense, too. I think Oregon might have just said, hey, we want another shot at Washington. I said, well, can you just do that the first damn time and stop wasting our time? You know, I, I mean, Washington is undefeated getting ready to stomp out Stanford. You know, it's like, would you rather be there? Sure, you would. But does an Oregon Pac-12 champ with one loss get into the college football playoff? That's an interesting question. I think that Oregon is, for me, 
a good football team, and I still got them as a, a team that can win the Pac-12 championship. It's hard to argue at Washington being out front there because they are undefeated and because they beat Oregon, but that game was in Seattle, and I contend that Dan Lanning lost that game for Oregon. Washington didn't go win it, okay? Now, you're a Washington fan. You feel some kind of way about that. Cool. Go win a Pac-12 championship and prove the world wrong. But you know, like I know, if that man had just decided to punt the football, maybe we're talking about an undefeated Oregon football team. And right now, you know, between Dan Lanning and Kyle Whittingham, I don't think that I trust two head coaches to go win a wrestling title more. I just don't. Both of them dudes got a lot of stuff in their neck. Both of them dudes won it with, in the worst way. Both of those guys really, really challenged their offensive and defensive lines to go be great. But Will Stein has also been low-key, uh, just outstanding addition to that Oregon staff. I thought they were going to take a step back with Kenny Dillashaw taking that job at Arizona State. But Will Stein has just said, no, who are my best players? Let me get the ball into Bo Nix's hands, Bucky Irving's hands, and Troy Franklin's hands as many times as I possibly can. Scheme up ways to get those dudes open and get those dudes touches and then see if they can't go score on these really great defenses. And that's what Utah is. It's a really great defense that they went ahead and put 35 up on. Very excited to see what the rest of the way holds for them. And again, SC, this is coming to you. This is coming at your head. This, you, this is not a brick that you don't see coming. You're going to absolutely see Oregon coming at you like Craig did Debo with a brick. Okay? That what you've been playing, what you've been showing defensively, that ain't that ain't no, no. You play like that against Oregon, they liable to put up a hundred. They liable to put up a hundred and they liable not to take their foot off the gas. So you better get come correct because you got Washington and you got Oregon. Then you got a UCLA team that is currently playing against Colorado. We will talk about that game and Ohio State, Wisconsin on our Sunday AP rankings reaction show, where I'll also reveal my top 25. See how far Oklahoma slides down there. See how far Oregon moves up off of that. Let's go to the AP number one ranked team in the country. Number one, Georgia throttling Florida. 43 to 20. I had asked the question. Who is going to put on the Brock Bowers backpack and say, jump on my back? Who is going to drop into the Brock Bowers dually, put the hitch on and say, hey, fellas, put the trailer on. I got us. I'm going to tow us across the line at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. This was a homecoming. For quarterback Carson Beck, who's a Jacksonville native, and he played like 19 of, 20, 19 of 28 for 315 and two TDs in this game. He also low-key moved into second in passing in the SEC behind a, a person that many people believe should be a Heisman contender in Jaden Daniels at LSU. But Georgia, even when it feels like they're getting bored with winning, continues to win. They won their 25th straight game. And they are 41-1 and since the last time Florida beat Georgia in 2020. And the defense was the thing that I was really watching for while, yeah, we're going to watch for see who takes up for one Brock Bowers. A lot of things on this world you can deal with, but getting beat up on by Lad McConkey might not be one of them. But to the defense, in one four-drive sweat stretch, I saw UGA's defense hold Florida's offense to three yards. That's a huge deal because Florida came out like gangbusters. They looked like they were going to put up a fight. Put up that seven and then really had a hard time getting on the board, mostly because UGA just didn't stop scoring once they started scoring. In one seven-minute period, I saw UGA put up 23 points. Seven minutes game clock, 23 points. That's real difficult to deal with if you're an offense trying to get out of your way and if you're an offense needs to run on time like Billy Napier's offense tends to need to do. Like he needs to be on time in a way that, say, high-scoring offenses don't. 
right? But if you can stop those high-scoring offenses, you got an opportunity to control the clock, control the ball. That's not something that Georgia gets to let you do because they're just going to take the ball from you. They're going to hand it to Dajian Edwards, and then they're going to beat you over the top with guys like Ladd McConkey. McConkey had six catches for 135 yards and a TD. Dajian Edwards, a dude that I thought was going to put on the Brock Bowers backpack, 15 carries, 96 yards, two TDs. Like, like they are balanced, and they are still one of the four best teams in college football, even at times when I'm still arguing about whether or not they want to win the national championship a third time in a row. 486 total yards of offense for Georgia without their best player on the football field. That is probably the best argument that I can make for Georgia being the number one college football ranked team come the college football playoff rankings on Tuesday. This performance that they gave against the Florida football team that already showed that they could beat Tennessee, who we thought was good, right? And then Alabama went and got another win against them. But I had asked, is Georgia bored with winning? Not so bored that they're going to lay down in front of a rival. No, but they got Missouri next week. And Missouri has been a bugaboo to almost everybody they played, okay? Basically, since they knocked off Kansas State, they have looked like one of the four best teams in that conference. And now they got an opportunity to go with the champs neck and make it stick because that could be the game that decides who gets to play in the SEC championship game? Because you'll remember this last year, they're going to have divisions, and Missouri is in the SEC East. Again, credit to Georgia for answering the call. What are you going to do without Brock Bowers? They said, we're going to put up 43, and we're going to win by 23 against a Florida team that had an argument to be a top 25 team before today. Outstanding job by Kirby Smart and his Georgia Bulldogs. Last on our list of games for tonight, when we talk about the games, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Colorado, UCLA, tomorrow on our Sunday reaction show, number 10 Penn State holding off Indiana 33 to 24. I got to tell you, when I saw that Penn State had taken a 10 point lead in this game, I took it off my multi view. So I got between four and six games up all the time. And then I got a note from producer Tyler going, hey, uh, you might want to go check on the Penn State Indiana game. I said, what for? And right there, it looked like Penn State was trying to lose this football game to Indiana, or as many Penn State fans probably see it, trying to lose to Ohio State twice in two weeks. Because on paper, there's no reason for Indiana to challenge Penn State. There's not. You also would not have thought that Indiana would be the first team to pick off Drew Aller all year, and yet they did that too. But Drew Aller, at the end of the game, came up in winning time. He said, hey, look. Let me just throw it deep. Let, let me, Mike Gersich, let me load up and unleash this cannon. And that's exactly what he did. 57 yards for the TD. It was outstanding to see that ball just flow through the air. And then the catch that was made and the run after the catch for the TD that basically put the game out of reach for Indiana. But Eller finished the game 20 of 31 for 210, three TDs and a pick. Again, before he was 19 of 30 for about 150 yards. <laughs> and then that one play. Change the complexion of not just the game, but perhaps Penn State's season because you still got a road to the Big Ten title game. You was playing with fire there because it looked like y'all was going to suffer a loss to a basketball school, but you came back. You showed a little get back or you showed something that, frankly, Oklahoma couldn't show today and, uh, frankly, something USC did show today, right? So, I mean, again, Utah couldn't show today. Winning these sorts of nasty games, I think, is what the second half of the schedule is about. In college football, we care so much about dominance. And we care so much about dominance because we don't expect good football teams to lose. 
And if they do lose, we don't expect them to lose more than once, right? So when they lose more than once, we start to wonder, is it still a great football team? I mean, coming into this week, I had said out loud, if you gave James Franklin the quarterback play that Lincoln Riley has had over the last five years, you'd call him Lincoln Riley, right? Because it's been that, the margins have been that thin. And that's what Penn State has been contending with. They just got to beat Ohio State or Michigan or both preferably. And they can't lose games like this one. And they didn't, right? So Penn State, still a very good football team. Still one of the top 10 football teams in the country, according to me, right? That's one spoiler for the top 25. But I got to figure out what I'm going to do with Oklahoma taking its first loss to what is now a 6-2 Kansas team. Also, I can't, I can't, I can't get over this. Kansas had not beaten a top 10 team in Lawrence since 1984. They hadn't, that hadn't happened. And the Orange Bowl year is the last time that they had beat a top 10 team. Anytime. And then with no number next to their name, the number six team rolls into town and they hand them an L. My goodness. Lance Leipold in Lawrence. I'm looking forward to watching that for some coming years, man. That's going to be a lot of fun, especially with the changing of the guard and the Big 12 coming next year. Utah, Colorado joining up. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Kansas State's good. Iowa State is not going anywhere. Like, it's going to be a really deep conference, and I'm excited to cover it. All right. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Ohio State, Wisconsin, Colorado, UCLA, what did or did not happen. Going to have my eyes on Travis Hunter, Shadour Sanders, of course, Kyle McCord, and Marvin Harrison Jr., among others. That is going to do it for tonight's episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, our executive producer, Catherine Cordaggi. Directed for us is Aaron Schechter. Uh, we got social media maven, Javion Duncan. Kiara Santana does our production assisting. Jack Coakley and Torrin Westfall are our leads of screening. Oh, yeah, and I host the show, RJ. We'll see y'all on Sunday. Deuces. <laughs>